This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Is this just a political fight, some political theatre? A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. It is too easy just to blame Brexit. Surely it can't be anything means bye-bye-bye. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAV Digital Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Ferro. At the close today in London, the FTSE 100 a little bit firmer, up six-tenths of one percent on the DAX, firmer by nine-tenths of one percent. Sentiment lifted after the PBOC steps in with a little bit of verbal intervention, fueling a stronger Chinese currency in today's session. So much to talk about today. Let's begin by getting you some top stories from Charlie Pallet. Hi, thank you very much, Jonathan Ferro. And one of the UK's main business lobby groups says... Companies are at a, quote, breaking point over the lack of clarity on Brexit and are slowing down their investments as they await answers to key questions surrounding Britain's departure from the European Union. The British Chambers of Commerce say business confidence and investment intentions will continue to deteriorate until Prime Minister May ends the bickering in her cabinet and delivers, quote, urgent clarity on the practical, detailed issues that underpin trade. Glencore tumbling the most in two years as American authorities demand documents relating to possible corruption and money laundering. The world's biggest commodity trader says it's been subpoenaed by the U.S. Department of Justice to hand over documents related to the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and American money laundering statutes. Glencore shares down 8.2%. Breweries across northern Europe are worried about shortages of beer slaughterhouses facing the threat of a shutdown, and UK consumers may find it harder to buy crumpets, all because of a shortage of carbon dioxide on the continent, the gas which gives soda its fizz and is used to package food, and even stun pigs before slaughter is in short supply because of a high number of closures at ammonia plants that produce CO2. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrell, back to you. So now you're telling me we don't have enough CO2. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago we were talking about a lack of chicken. Now we don't have a lack of CO2. And you know what, though? You couldn't make this up. uh, You can't make this stuff up. But part of why this is so interesting, too, is that ultimately it will affect, in a way, what you drink with the World Cup because you can't get fizzy drinks, you can't get beer. I imagine we'll find some beer somewhere, Charlie. I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will, but but you understand the problem. I'll go scraping barrels looking for a pint <laughs> for, the, for the big game in a couple um, of hours' time. Um, and who's going to win if you change your forecast? You know, I, look, look, Brazil, the, the right? Bra- the bracket, the bracket still says Argentina because the bracket's not doing so well. All right. Um, I think perhaps Brazil. My bracket actually has Colombia beating England, and I probably should confess that. Heart versus head. Radio. Where are you? Um, Heart's got to be UK. Yeah, I just think. Colombia, England just always falls short at these kind of points. Always. Well, when was it's the last a, time? It's a tradition. 67, 68? 1966. Six, 66. 66. Wow. That was the last final and the last win that the England national team was in. Unbelievable. It's been that long, Charlie. Yeah. What are you doing yeah. for July 4th? Uh, special? T- uh, yeah, typical American things, sleeping late, going to a barbecue, enjoying beer, and uh, and and. Uh, watching fireworks, New sounds, York City, sounds, greatest city in the world for fireworks. Australian, that. Yeah, Sleeping, yeah, well, lazy, yeah, exactly. eat barbecue. Yeah, exactly. How about yourself? Got a friend called Ken Vexter that does just that. I'm not going to sleep, which is like a holiday for me, uh, exactly. um, and I'm looking forward to doing so. All right, going to catch so the fireworks. So no, no cable tomorrow, um, no program tomorrow, unfortunately, for our listeners out there, because um, I'll be on vacation for a day. 
Good fireworks. For you. I don't know about fireworks. Yeah, because you got to be up bright and early. What what time do you roll in? U.S. time. What time do you roll in? I wake up at about four twenty and I roll in shortly after five. It's not uh, bad. It used uh, to be a whole lot worse. Uh, yeah, I was going to say a lot for a lot of people yeah. around who get in at two a.m. Yeah, I used to, used to get in at three. That yeah. wasn't too bad. Yeah. Charlie Pellet, great to Cheers, catch mate. up with you, sir. Thank you. Lots of price action to speak about, but let's start right at the top with China raising speculation that it will take tougher action to stop the plunge in the Chinese currency. Two top Chinese central bankers vowed today to keep the currency stable. One Chinese currency maker, Chinese policymaker rather, turned around and said that they would not use the currency as a tool in the trade conflict. Joining me now is Ken Vexler, Director at Acumen Management, and Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. And Ken, first of all, barbecues, lazy days, getting up late, that's Australia, not America, isn't it? Yes, and it also happens to be what my Wednesday is going to look like at this stage, so uh, I'm certainly not complaining. Good for you, mate. Good for you. Um, Alice mm. McKay joining us from Zurich in Switzerland. Let's begin with you, though, Ken, on the Chinese currency. Was it the level or the pace of the decline that prompted the verbal intervention? Uh, probably the pace, although the level may, may have played a part. I think, look, ultimately, we needn't blow this out of proportion. They, despite their... Uh, you know, best uh, admissions to the contrary. I think they wanted the world to know that they're well aware of what the situation is. The currency remains a weapon within their arsenal, which they're prepared should they be forced to deploy. That's it. No more, nothing, no less. Um, and here we are. I think uh, the, mar- the, the thing is that the market wasn't really on this position. There was only the slight hint that Friday maybe somebody was getting long dollar China. But realistically, the market wasn't there. They kept fixing it higher every single day and have now pretty much abated that because we've gone three percent above the pivot point that we that they noted you know last october around 642 job done so ken to be clear here you just think that over the last month it was the chinese letting out a little bit of pent-up pressure um against the chinese currency with the backdrop being a stronger dollar through much of this year and you also think that the chinese in many ways have sent a message to the rest of the world that they can cause a little bit of pain with the currency alone yeah, pretty much. I mean, if, if we take, and I do at face value, that their line in the sand in October was 642 or they're about 640, and we got to 624, which is 3%, we got to 665, 670-odd, okay, fine, a small overshoot, which is 3% north of that 640 area, that's it. They've, all they've simply done is redefined the bounds in which they're comfortable, pegged it back a bit, and here we are. Alistair McKaig, that pragmatic yeah. over in Switzerland? Yeah, I think so. Look, you know, we're um, America's going to be uh, short on staff numbers uh, tomorrow. No one's going to be paying too much attention. If you're wanting to send a message prior to what is going to be a, a more escalated environment come come Friday and when when these tariffs actually start to take effect, now's the time to do it. Um, to 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 think that they wouldn't be uh, viewing the currency as a, a tool in in their armory and and as far as these negotiations are concerned would be naive. Um, arguably, it's one of their biggest uh, tools they've got. Certainly when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, uh, demand levels for goods and produce, it's heavily stacked in, in one direction and, and they need to use everything they've got to their power. I was speaking to Steve Englander of Stan Chart a little bit earlier on, Ken, and he kind of pointed out that if this is the strongest hand the Chinese have got, they're clearly operating from a bit of a weak position at the moment if they've got to reach for the currency card over the last month to send a message to America. Does that kind of argument resonate with you, Ken? 
Not really, uh, for, for two reasons. One is that if they legitimately wanted to see, send a signal via the currency, we'd be north of 680 in a heartbeat. We really would. I mean, they'd, they'd let this thing go, and we could even have a look at seven. They simply wanted to remind the world that this thing exists. They're not going to be sat you know, dormant, letting Trump uh, essentially dictate the rules of play. And that's it. I think... I, I genuinely, I, I believe, maybe I'm too simple, that too much has been made of this right now. If we see a persistent move north of 680, then we've got cause to start you know, considering what's where. But I don't think they're reaching for any tools. I don't think they're doing anything. They're signalling that they have an intent to signal. I mean, that's it. No, nothing more. Ken Vexler. Great to catch up with you, sir. Sticking with me, Director of Acumen Management, alongside Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Guys, you'll be sticking with me. Next up on the program, I want to run through what's been happening with Glencore. The stock today down by over 8% as the miner receives a US subpoena from the Department of Justice. Just what is going on at the FTSE 100 listed miner today? A Big, big fall. That stock, anything but stable elsewhere. A lot of stability worldwide in equity markets. Europe firmer. At the close, the FTSE up by six tenths of one percent. And in the United States, its operation gets to the close, which is only about fifty-two minutes away on this shortened trading day because of the holiday tomorrow in the U.S. The S&P 500 up by not even a tenth of one percent. From New York, for our listeners across the capital in London, this is the cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jonathan Farrow. Glencore, the biggest faller on the FTSE 100 today, down by 8% at the close. Brutal and shaving off about 13 points from the FTSE 100's gain today. Glencore tumbling the most in two years as US authorities demanded documents relating to possible corruption and money laundering. The world's biggest commodity trader saying today that it's been subpoenaed by the US Department of Justice to hand over documents related to the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and US money laundering statutes. The documents relating to the company business in Nigeria, the Democratic Republic of Congo and Venezuela from 2007 to the present day. I was told many years ago that running a miner was like herding cats in some of the most business-unfriendly regions on the planet. And I guess for most investors in mining stocks, there is always this sort of tail risk embedded into the equity that you're going to have some kind of issue like this at some time in the future if you hold a mining stock because of the nature of the places they operate in. So the stock down as much as 13% in today's session and at the close down as much as 8%. Keeping up the price action today was really, really interesting. We had WTI reclaim a 75 handle really briefly for the first time since November 2014. Brent also with a bit of a bid and then we just rolled over seemingly on nothing. Brent back to 77.32 and WTI back to $73.90. With me, Ken Vexler, Director of Acumen Management, and Alistair McCaig, Director of Investment Management at Fern Wealth. Um, Al, your views on what's happening in the commodity market and crude more specifically, just how has the conversation shifted so radically in 12 months from there being too much crude sloshing about to supply shortages potentially on the horizon? 
Well, I think the big issue is obviously Iran and the, and the, um, the, the stance that the, uh, the Trump administration took there and, and what the, the sentiment as far as supply was concerned. Um, throw in a few curveballs. And again, Trump seems to be the, the, the center of this and talking directly on a public forum uh, with, uh, with uh, the Saudis in regards to uh, boosting production and arguably the Saudis' inability to maybe turn those taps on quite as uh, swiftly and as fully as the, the U.S. would like. Um, and, and there's plenty of uh, you know uh, other issues where some of the, the oil producing nations around the world are uh, you know they're unstable sometimes and Venezuela falls into that camp Nigeria falls into that camp as well um, and, and uh, I think that co- the commodity arena full stop um, it does mean that you're going to see complexities um, come into to the whole supply side of the equation Ken how is this commodity story and to be more specific the oil story manifesting itself in foreign exchange at the moment um, this is something that we've we've discussed quite a bit in the office in, in the last probably month or so. I personally have an incredibly tough time reconciling oil trading around these levels and the dollar being as strong as it is. Um, initially, we could well, sort of put it down to you know potential supply side uh, shocks and the like, and here we are. Uh, but that that's sort of no longer the case in terms of our take on it. I mean, the 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 price being up here is sustained for too long, so I, I'm not entirely sure. I think. Part of it's a short squeeze, but then, you know, which short squeeze are we talking about? When do they manage to get short? So how much longer can we stay up here? I don't know. How does it manifest itself in terms of the FX space? Ironically, I mean, you know, various commodity currencies, the CAD's been battered from pillar to post. I mean, it reacts to headlines then has a look at what, you know, the Bank of Canada has to say, what the data domestically has to say. And, you know, it, it trades like it's got Tourette's. So it's... It's it's awfully tough. There, there is there is no clear cut sort of correlation there at the moment, unfortunately. But Ken, if I had to put you on to, on on the spot, it's hard to reconcile why the dollar should be up here and crude as well. If you had to say one's going to break lower, which one would it be? Uh, I'm inclined to say that uh, you've got a higher delta of the dollar coming off. I mean, I, I think it's got further to fall than does oil should oil start to come off. Ken Bexler, Director at Acumen Management, sticking with me alongside Alistair McKay, Director of Investment Management at Firm Wealth. Gents, great to have you with me. Next up on the programme, we take it to Europe and the political situation as the German Chancellor Angela Merkel lives to fight another day as Germany's leader. Just what is going on with European politics and why am I hearing so many big calls for euro dollar to go towards 130? That conversation next. You're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. I have to say the England side of the bracket is absolutely rubbish. Um, Russia, Croatia and now Sweden waiting to see who joins them in the quarterfinals um, after beating Switzerland. It's either Colombia or England. Um, Al, it's a pretty rubbish side of the draw, isn't it? Where uh, where are all the big teams? I sat there watching Belgium England uh, in and thinking as soon as Yanazai uh, scored what was in fairness a pretty decent goal. Yeah. I just I thought you mug. Yeah, like you know <laughs> you, why you know, the, the 
Yeah, the, the, the yellow cards were on, on your side. You can afford to have a draw, and you're going to get put in the, the, the kinder side of the equation. Um, and uh, and you know, on the back of Japan last night, you, you see how um, some of these smaller teams, quite frankly, are, are putting up decent performances. So you never know. There might be some more uh, twists and turns in this World Cup. Yeah. Maybe Gareth Southgate will regret not trying to beat the Belgians um, so they can avoid Colombia. I don't know. I just know that this side of the draw is pretty rubbish. Um, elsewhere in some breaking news, a Chinese court has temporarily banned Micron and the chip sales, um, basically cutting the US company off from the world's largest semiconductor market. Um, this is according to the Taiwanese rival United Microelectronics. Um, in a patent ruling in favour of UMC, um, a court in China has issued a preliminary injunction stopping Micron from selling 26 products, including dynamic random access memory and um, another product which I have never heard of and won't pretend to have. Um, this according to UMC. Micron said it's preparing a response, so it's just another move in the Chinese-US corporate standoff that seems to be playing out in various ways. Um, the stock, Micron, down by over 5% at one point, now down by just over 3.5%. So you're keeping up to speed with the trade story because it's manifesting itself in more ways than just tariffs on one and tip-for-tap tariffs back. Um, keep following that story. Elsewhere in the politics of Europe, Chancellor Germany, German Chancellor Angela Merkel has ended the immediate threat of a government breakup over migration. Um, Merkel and Interior Minister Horst Seehofer resolved their two-week-old dispute. She's come up with a plan that will essentially tighten migration and keep the sister Bavarian party, the CSU, in coalition. Um... <sighs> The other issue, though, is whether she can get the rest of Europe on board, particularly Austria and Italy. Um, so this one's not over. Ken, your view on European politics and what it ultimately means for the single currency at the moment? Um, look, my, I, I suppose the, the root cause of many of the issues that we're seeing in, in you know, European politics is exactly that, is refugees, is the immigration side of things. And I, that's not going away. Unfortunately, the way the world's tilted at the moment that problem will not subside. Um, to, to her credit and to Germany's credit, they've handled it thus far quite well. They've taken on a fair chunk of the flow. Um, but ultimately, she has to appease domestic, uh, domestic interests, and I think she's taken that step somewhat uh, thus far. But this isn't going away. I mean, it's a, it's a sort of problem. It's, it's like a water balloon. You squeeze in one end and it pops out the other. So... This is going to keep going. Um, how it manifests itself in terms of the single currency, look, for now it remains under pressure, but it remains predominantly under pressure because of, you know, the prevailing narrative of interest rate differentials more so than the actual political backdrop. We weathered the Italian story fairly well, fairly quickly. BDPs did what they needed to, and we're sort of over that hump. So for now, I think the focus, as far as FX is concerned, is is a little bit elsewhere. I spoke to Jeff Yu of UBS, um, a peer of yours, Ken, and he turned around and said 130 euro dollar over the next 12 months. Can we get to 130 again? Uh... The short answer is yes. I mean, I suppose, look, look at it this way. Is it probable? Uh, or rather, is it possible? Yes. Is it probable? Mm. Um, our view here is that, you know, something similar-ish would be possible, but that's predicated on the U.S. smalls rolling over and obviously the, the U.S. dollar coming off significantly. I don't think there's anything enough in Europe unless the ECB entirely changes its, uh, its prevailing tune to signal that all of a sudden um, Europe is going to warrant 
uh, a stronger currency or you know the, anything that's going to happen internally is going to reflect in in a stronger FX rate. One twenty from here, sure. Yeah. One thirty unless the dollar goes. Yeah, hard pressed. Going to be a stretch. And Alistair McKay, to get your view on things, um, the individuals that I've been speaking to on the Euro bull side of the case just say there's way too much pessimism baked into European rates and that ultimately what matters here is the incremental change and the marginal change is going to be in the euro's favour. Well, look, I think when it comes to, to headwinds, that there's plenty of uh, issues that are hanging over the, the eurozone at the moment. Brexit, quite frankly, would be a, an attractive uh, distraction, I think, as far as many uh, would be concerned as far, uh, in regards to the euro currency. I think um, the, the Italian situation has been dealt with and that's they've moved on from there. I think when it comes to uh, the, the weakness of the, the German government, that is a much bigger issue as far as the eurozone is concerned. Um, and I think that that's going to play its part and then throw into the mix that, uh, you know, Donald Trump's turned his attention and, and more vocally turned his attention to trade wars with, with the eurozone. And I think that's a big, big headwind that's going to hang over them. And it's specifically focused at, predominantly at this point in time against the Germans, uh, the automotive sector. And that is that is a real worry um, when you've got the, the one of the two major uh, European powerhouses, Germany, the major powerhouse, Germany, uh, looking a little bit wobbly. Uh, and it's got more issues that uh, balls it's going to have to juggle imminently. Alice McCake, it's been great to catch up with you. Can I have a prediction now? And does your heart and head... Both say Colombia. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I've got a, I've got a dream team. I've got two English players in it. Harry Kane's one of them. Yeah. I'm hoping he scores a hat trick tonight, and, and and England go through, sailing through. That is my, uh, my, my head and my heart. Actually, okay. um, all right. I, think, uh, I just thought as a Scot, yeah. you might be going for Colombia. I'll be under no illusions. I want Belgium to win with the Belgian wife. Um, who okay. was incredibly that's very sensible. Last night, well done. <laughs> Very sensible, Al. Alice McCaig of Fernwealth joining us from Zurich today. Uh, Ken Vex, the director at Acumen Management, joining us out of London. Gents, always great to catch up with you, and thank you for giving me your time on what is a beautiful London evening I hear again with the weather just absolutely glorious. Can we not complain about the weather in the UK being too hot? We finally have a summer in the United Kingdom. Just enjoy it, because I guarantee that over the next few summers you probably won't get one, and you'll be complaining because it's not hot and there is no sun in the sky. So, gents, thank you very much for catching up with me. Next up on the programme, we're going to catch up with a team over here in New York and look ahead to the most least anticipated payrolls number I can think of this year. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. 5.30 at the close, the FTSE firmer by six-tenths of 1%. Risk appetite stabilises, fueled by a stronger Chinese currency following a little bit of verbal intervention from the People's Bank of China. So the equity market firmer across Europe with the DAX up by nine-tenths of 1%. Off the back of that verbal intervention across G10, a weaker dollar story emerges the swedish krona just ripping off the back of the potential that we get a rate hike um lana newen bloomberg's very own fx reporter is governor ingves gonna hike rates before the ecb 
I don't know. That's what everyone's spooked about. So yeah, that's why the market's reacting. Can so you I've, believe it? I'm, been... I'm surprised you introed with that. Well, John. no, I just got excited. But I saw Stocky top of the pile um, in G10 today, just ripping one and a half percent against the uh, against the dollar. And then I had Jeff U of UBS on radio with me, who got excited about Euro Stocky. And Tom Keane just didn't know what happened. We went from Polish Slotty to Euro Stocky on a New York-based markets program stocky before yuan is very surprising on a day like today is, is is that what you've been looking at as well it is, is stocky yuan across i don't think i've ever looked at no stocky no no yuan. not not that cross <laughs> i'm saying the the base you know I'm i thought talking it was the about football the game that boosted the currency no yeah yeah of course right. yeah of course that's why sweden is up one and a half percent because they went through one nil against switzerland mike regan very astute yeah, well done. That's, well that's, done. that's all I got to offer the real, the real news in financial <laughs> markets. Sweden gets a bid because they continue to do well in the World Cup. Um, so we get some top stories. Here is Bloomberg's Charlie Hi, Thank you very much, Jonathan Farrell. Let us begin with Glencore. Shares down more than 8%, tumbling the most in two years. As American authorities demand documents relating to possible corruption and money laundering, the world's biggest commodity trader says it has been subpoenaed by the U.S. Department of Justice to hand over documents relating to the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and U.S. money laundering statutes. One of the U.K.'s main business lobby groups says companies are at a, quote, breaking point over the lack of clarity on Brexit and are slowing down their investments as they await answers to key questions surrounding Britain's departure from the European Union. The British Chambers of Commerce say business confidence and investment intentions will continue to deteriorate until Prime Minister May ends the bickering in her cabinet and delivers, quote, urgent clarity on the practical detailed issues that underpin trade. Ryanair facing pilot strikes in its Irish home market for the first time in what may become its its most significant confrontation with organized labor to date. The Irish Airline Pilots Association says pilots in Ireland, where Europe's biggest low-cost airline is based, have voted 94 to 1 in favor of industrial action, including strikes. That vote comes amid the airline's busy summer season. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie, thank you. Who needs tariffs? Total Daimler U.S. vehicle sales down 9.9% in June. Mike Regan, 9.9% in June, total Daimler U.S. vehicle sales. Um, Mercedes-Benz U.S. luxury auto sales down 9.7%. Ouch. Is Buy America becoming a theme? Well, and that's not really the trend. You know, all the other numbers were pretty decent. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, or, it's, a, it's a good question. I haven't looked closely into the uh, numbers enough to know Just what got exactly my attention. It. Saw it crossing a, a Bloomberg <laughs> and it got my attention. Something it, else that got my attention earlier. I'm very pleased we have Lana Newham with us today because she is the FX expert now, but prior to this used to be the commodities expert. So I'm going to get you to... Uh, sort of tap into some of that knowledge and help me understand why WTI very briefly today had a 75 handle. Well, I think what people are worried about is the supply. You know, it's all about supply right now. Um, you, you look at a backward-dated Brent market and that means that people are worried that inventories right now are too tight, that, you know, inventories have dropped down because of the strong demand. And at the same time, we're desperate for signals from OPEC that they're going to increase supplies. Donald Trump has appealed to OPEC to increase supplies. And uh, we had a little bit of a fudge from the OPEC producers that they're How going to do that. And Mike Regan, please jump in. How have we gone from a conversation about there being too much oil 
to a conversation about supply disruptions. I thought that when crude went up, Shell stepped in. Is that is that narrative dead? I think they've they've stepped in as much as they can as far as pipeline capacity goes right now. Um, and you also have to remember, you know, we, we blew up the uh, we being the the White House blew up the Iran deal, so. The Iranian uh, supply is basically being cut off from most of the world. So, um, you know, and then and to Lenon's point, there's also rumors today that Trump may actually order release of the strategic petroleum reserves. I that's what that's to, what brought it back down. I spoke, to, spoke to Amrita Sen of Energy Aspects, who said you cannot rule that out. When was the last time we did that, Lana? And I hate to put you on the spot, but how long has it been since we really thought about doing those things? Uh, it's been a while. I mean, Hurricane Katrina. <laughs> is yeah, what yeah, it, yeah. is a uh, you know so we're talking about those are real emergencies those are when you know yeah it, exactly stuff is really hitting the fan um you know it's not usually in response to a sort of market movement or price movement it's when there is an actual physical disruption um let me pull up the right and especially not that 75 a barrel i mean come on i remember you know i remember jordan when oil was really going above 100 back in the in the aftermath of the financial crisis, there was a lot of talk about it back then. I, I can't remember if they actually ended up releasing any or not, but it's, it, it, like Ladon said, it's it's an emergency thing if there's a hurricane or, or some sort of, you know, global disruption in supply. This is, uh, be very surprising, um, but hey, this president uh, specializes in surprises. Amri Tassan said to me that we could see triple digit crude. And my response to anyone that starts thinking about $100 crude is whether the U.S. economy, for any economy worldwide, whether we can tolerate $100 crude. Can we tolerate $100 crude in the West? Yeah, it definitely starts to become a headwind at some point, especially if, you know, interest rates are rising at the same time. I mean, what, you know, it's it's a sort of perennial debate. What is the sort of sweet spot zone for crude and, and when does it become uh, a headwind? I, I would assume 100 uh Dollar barrel is going to be a headwind, though. What gets us to a hundred, Lan? Seriously, just more of the same. Well, we're moving into the driving season, so that doesn't help. Um, obviously, this is a you know this is a seasonal thing that happens every year, but it somehow takes people by surprise and presses <laughs> rally anyway. Um, just reminding myself of uh, you know 2011, the uh, the IEA actually coordinated a release of uh, petroleum reserves. So it was not just the U.S., but on the back of the Libyan disruption. So this is was... why I asked you because I knew you'd have the historical perspective from back when you were a beat reporter on the, on the crude beat. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so when that happened, that was a legit supply disruption, you know, barrels not being able to reach the market. It's not in response to necessarily Just price. Uh, and of course, price is a reflection of supply, but still it was, uh, you know, it, it definitely... A sudden, unexpected collapse exactly. in, in crude production. Yep. Um, but that... it, it is something that the president can just order, I believe, right? I, I, you know, if he wants it released, it gets released. I don't think there's anything stopping him. Yeah, it's domestic. Yeah. Michael Regan, senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live, sticking with me alongside Lana Nguyen, Bloomberg, FX and Bond reporter. I can tell you that in the United States, it is the countdown to 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, is that when the equity market closes, Mike? Indeed. And then bonds at two? Yes. Mm -hmm. So it's basically if you if you trade stocks, you're an hour lazier than the guys that trade bonds. Yep. And everyone's out by the afternoon and hardly anyone's at work anyway right now. So it's mission get to 1 p.m. for the equity traders. And it's mission get to 2 p.m. because that's 7 in London. And that means it's um, 
kickoff time for England versus Colombia. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, drive safely and enjoy your evening in front of the football and good luck to England as they sit down and go for it. Against Colombia in a market, a firmer end to the session in London, up six-tenths of 1% on the FTSE 100. Even Sterling gets a bit today. Cable up to uh, 131.65. Sterling positive by two-tenths of 1%. From New York for London, this is The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. This is basically Charlie Pellet's song. I mean, whenever I'm not here and he hosts, does he request this, Lana? Well, he, says, feel like he, he does. talks about being at the club, so... At the club? Yeah. To this? Yeah. He said, I wow. remember in the clubs, this was the hot tune. Well, in the 70s. <laughs> Ask him about it. Charlie was clubbing in the 70s. Isn't that concerning? That's the time to be clubbing, though. Was it in the oh, 70s? Yeah. Did you make the 70s, Mike? Oh, yeah. I was born in 71. I mean, I was not clubbing. Well, you weren't clubbing. Uh, so you were clubbing in, like, the late 80s. I was much of a clubbing guy. Uh, Weren't you? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, at least from the legend, the 70s were the time to be clubbing in New York. To with be Donald clubbing Trump in New York. And, uh, what? Clubbing with Donald Trump? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to, to it, that, you got to go clubbing with the, uh, the king of the clubs. Well, with the know. best, quite clearly, yeah. <laughs> with Charlie Pellet as well. Apparently, there you go. Does he stand up and dance when that song comes on? He doesn't, but he talks about he talks about it very fondly. He reminisces. I Is that how he met time. Mrs. King? Yeah, Mrs. Pellet, rather, not Mrs. King. I'm thinking of another co-anchor. <laughs> Going to get Tom in trouble. Or rather, might might get Mrs. Keen in trouble. <laughs> Lanan, help me out with why. No one seems to care about payrolls this Friday. I mean, no one's even talking to me about payrolls this Friday. Nobody really cares about payrolls for the last year. If they're decent, then that's fine. Everything is chugging along. So, uh, you know, we, we're not so worried about payrolls unless they miss. Um, and, and, you know, so far, we've had a few misses here and there, but it's not a big deal if the economy is still chugging along, if it's still positive, if momentum is still good. I think for a while there just used to be the story that payrolls might change the story for the Federal Reserve. And it just seems to me that it doesn't matter what the number is on Friday, it doesn't change the story for the Federal Reserve. Is there a number that makes the Fed slow down on Friday? Well, the volatility of the number itself has just dropped completely out. It's always, you know, a decent number. Uh, I think average hourly earnings might be the one that would change the narrative a little bit. I mean, the forecast, I think, is uh, 2.8% uh, for the month. So it's, it's getting hot. I mean, it's... Uh, uh, you know, the highest we've gotten uh, in the past year was 2.8. So if it, if it keeps climbing higher, uh, it does make you wonder about the Fed. Um, but uh, otherwise, I mean, you know, the, the job growth is still going to be there. Presumably the, the estimate is for 195,000 yeah. versus 223 last month. So, uh, you know, a little fluctuation around that number shouldn't be too bad. But you know, you see uh, average hourly earnings uh, above 3%. I think I think people start uh, getting a little worried about that. And we had this not-so-subtle message from Larry Kudlow, the economic advisor to the president, that if the job gains continue, the Fed should perhaps recognize that inflation isn't necessarily coming. Have we started to see, and I should start this question by actually making a statement that this administration has actually been fantastic with the Federal Reserve. The nominations have been strong. They've allowed the Federal Reserve to carry on doing what it's doing without much interruption whatsoever. But rather recently, there was this one line from Larry Kudlow that got a lot of attention. Lanan, do you think we might hear a lot more of that in the weeks to come? What are investors and analysts saying to you? Well, 
let's be honest, he did break a bit of a taboo in urging the, the Fed to go slow. Um, and I think that the Fed uh, is is a very measured organization. It doesn't turn on a dime, it doesn't turn on one jobs report, and it certainly, um, you know, isn't going to turn its policy based on one, um, you know, person in the administration, even if it's the president. Um, the Fed is very measured and slow um, and takes its time. So uh, I think it's much more important to watch the minutes and to see, you know, how, what their messaging is in the minutes in terms of how they're reading the economy than to, uh, you know, pay attention to one comment. Lana Newman, Bloomberg FX and Bond reporter, sticking with me alongside Michael Regan, senior editor and link blogger for Markets Live. Guys, stand with me next up on the program. We'll whip through what's coming up in a week ahead as we count you down, not to the payrolls report, to kick off later (laughs) on. England, Colombia, ahead of all of that, a firmer close across Europe. The FTSE 100 up six tenths of 1%. The DAX up by nine tenths of 1%. We turn lower on the S&P 500 and on the NASDAQ. The tech-heavy NASDAQ taking a bit of a hit as another company gets caught up in the US-China trade standoff. More on that in just a moment. From New York for the capital, for the city of London, this is The Cable. You're listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. From New York for the city of London, you're listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio at the close, 5 p.m., 5.48 p.m. I'll get it out. I'm just nervous about a game later. Um, The FTSE up by six-tenths of one percent at the close. Gains across the continent. The DAX up by nine-tenths of one percent. We roll over in the U.S. session. That might give you a taste of what's to come tomorrow morning in Europe. The S&P 500 down by a third. The Nasdaq off by six-tenths of one percent. The tech-heavy Nasdaq taking a brunt of it because a Chinese core has temporarily banned Micron chip sales, um, essentially cutting the U.S. company off from the world's largest semiconductor market. This is according to the Taiwanese rival United Microelectronics Corp. Um, it's a patent ruling in favor of UMC. It's a court in China that basically has issued a preliminary injunction stopping Micron from selling 26 products. This all according to UMC in a statement. Micron said it's preparing a response Shares in the uh, company dropping 5.2%, as much as that. Let me give you where we are in the here and now for Micron. It's kind of the story of the moment, so bear with me. Uh, Down 6% now. The lows were down 8%, so really, really taking it in the teeth. Um, The Nasdaq down by 7 tenths of 1%. So sentiment is really, really souring. Um, Really not good at all. Um, Coming up over the next week, Wednesday... The United States celebrating Independence Day, so stock and bond markets are closed. Um, Thursday, EIA crude oil inventory report, FOMC minutes released. And then Friday, the payrolls report. And I guess the big one, and this is why no one's talking about payrolls, the United States scheduled to impose tariffs on $34 billion of Chinese goods. And Mike, it's just trade, 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 and a market that's just increasingly headline-driven. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think that uh, Micron News uh, coming at the time it did, I mean, obviously, this is a case that's been going on for a while, but it obviously 
causes the uh, U.S. market to to think about all the possible levers that China has uh, to to push the other way. Uh, um, so you're absolutely right. They're really taking the wind out of the stock market now. It's heading into a, a pretty nasty close for the for the U.S. market. It is the- it is brutal. And Lannan, when are we going to escape this? It just seems one headline, one story as part of the bigger trade picture. Now, if this story had dropped, I don't know, 18 months ago, the Micron story, right? People wouldn't have taken a broader sort of approach to it. They would have just said, "Okay, Micron gets hit, but for the broader market, who yeah. cares?" Now it's just been taken as a reference point for a much broader negative story. Can we get away from this? I don't think so. And uh, when Mike talks about levers, uh, we can't uh, talk about levers without discussing the PBOC, obviously, verbally intervening in the currency today. What's your view on that? So do you think it was the level or do you think it was the pace of the slide that's really prompted them to step in? Both. I think the pace of the slide um, was really fast. Uh, Obviously, the worst June since 1994 or the worst slide since 1994 in June. Um, So obviously, people in the markets were getting spooked. And I think the PBOC said, hey, we got to step in, calm everybody down. And that is what they did. And obviously, that's in the context of all of this trade tension we've got. The PBOC has said that, you know, this is not a weapon. The currency is not a weapon in trade conflict. Um, So yeah, a little bit of a cool head trying to step in and, and calm people down. And they've calmed down people for now. And it just sort of strikes me as amazing that we're back to this Chinese currency story, Mike, that they step in with some verbal intervention and sentiment lifts. Let me get this Micron story. Sentiment crashes. But just that move, some verbal intervention alone, was enough to settle the nerves this morning. Yeah. Well, for how long did it last? A couple of hours, apparently. A couple of hours is all you get. Um, You know, obviously, what everyone's looking forward to is the earnings season in the U.S. I mean, the numbers that are going to be in the books are obviously going to be great. 20% profit growth, whatever. But Every time a company opens their mouth about trade, uh, I feel like all of Wall Street pays attention, you know, whether it's Harley Davidson or Daimler or... And whether it's a scapegoat or not. Whether or not, yeah. And, you know, and it will be hard to tell, I think, exactly. You know, if you say you have a weak forecast, uh, blame, blame it on the trade war. Why not? Basically. You know, uh, but and it's it's not necessarily going to be the easiest thing for investors to, to suss out. So I think... Um, it is going to be one of those quarters where the outlooks, the conference calls and what uh, companies say, what the multinationals with international exposure say about how they're preparing for, for the trade war. I mean, you know, what do you do? Do you just sort of uh, cut your forecasts and hope you beat them? Or uh, I don't know. I, I, so there's a lot of uncertainty heading into that, I think, uh, that hopefully we'll get some clarity uh, as the season goes on. I mean, we still have another two weeks almost before it really kicks so in. So we, we might see it in the guidance. And this sort of reminds me of the FX story sometimes when the dollar's too strong and the big multinationals write about it in their guidance that the dollars went on growth, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then when the dollar's weak, you never hear about it. They never tell you yeah, about it. It right. doesn't come up. And I wonder if we're going to get a quarter of that on the trade story, Mike. It, it very well could be. And, you know, again, they'll have the dollar to blame as well. Uh, so they've got two things to blame if the numbers aren't great. And they can come out and say the numbers are still good. But guess what? They could have been better. Right. Um, Lana, I just don't see how we can get away from this. So the corporate guidance, we may well see surrounded the trade story. Do we see it in the economic data yet? I don't think we see it yet, but uh, I think what what people are looking for this week is for the Fed to talk about it. So again, trade is everywhere. Corporations are talking about it. We're talking about it. But really, we want to see if the Fed is going to start warning more meaningfully about uh, the the impact of trade on the economy. So uh, that's that that could move markets, I yeah. think. Blue Mix, Lana Nguyen. Great to catch up with you. And uh, 
Bloomberg's Michael Regan, great to catch up with you, sir. And um, we're going to go a little bit earlier today so I can make it back to mine for kickoff. Um, <laughs> that's a joke. There's a, there's a minute left on, on the clock. I'm not going that early. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to wind it down, though, that's for sure. Columbia, England, kicking off in about one hour and six minutes' time. Remember, tomorrow, US markets will be closed. And for anyone following the US session, late in the session, also remember that in about five minutes, the US equity market closes. And in one hour and five minutes, the US bond market will close. So for our listeners across the capital in London, we won't be with you tomorrow. The US markets will be shut, but Europe will resume trading. And I imagine they could be weighed on by what's happening with the semiconductor story and the weight to the tape that we're starting to see come through on the Nasdaq as well. So for our listeners across the capital, thank you very much for being with us from New York for London. This was The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio and good luck to England. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.